I think great books for parenting is paying closer attention to great children's books. Welcome back to Education, where it's all about raising passionate and committed Jewish children. My name is Yair Menchel, a parenting coach who mentors parents to deal with challenging situations with their children and learn strategies and skills to help their children succeed. As a passionate Jewish educator with lots of experience as a formal and informal educator whose whole goal of being an educator is to help children and teens develop great relationship with Hashem and to have a great relationship with Torah, I'm on the journey to find the best practices to do that as a parent because I believe whether we are educators by profession or not, we are all Jewish educators day in and day out in our own homes. We are educating our children on what it means to be a Jew, what it means to be a good person. This week, we have the pleasure of hearing the famous David Bashevgan. David is a writer, a professor, podcast host of 1840, an incredible podcast with so much substance to it. David is also the director of education of NTSY. David has a very impressive bio, which can be found in the show notes. And David is perhaps most well-known in the, in his you know for his role in from Twitter or Jwitter or whatever you want to call it, and his incredible following there at his handle at Dbash Ideas, and he speaks about the ideas component in this episode as well. In this episode, we will discuss how to build grit in children, the importance of talking to our children about their feelings, and helping them to articulate themselves. David gives an incredible muscle for children's emotions, which really helps to understand children and what they're going through in their formative years. We discuss how social media affects him and his family, the Shabbos culture that he has in his home, and the important role children's books can have in helping parents to become better at parenting. If you are into David's top five book or column that he used to have in Mishpacha, you are in for a real treat. Make sure to wait for that at the end of the episode. Without further ado, enjoy the episode. As I noted in the intro, you can find David Bashevkin's amazing bio in the show notes. But one of the most fascinating parts of his bio is the way he ends it off. To quote his bio, David has been rejected from several prestigious fellowships and awards. It's fascinating to me that you include that, and I actually really want to dive right into that with you right away, right from the get-go. So firstly, a major thank you for taking the time to talk to education, and now let's get right into it. I guess specifically in parenting, you know, the, the, the fact that you're rejected so much, how do you, how do you think people can raise people who, you know, children who are, have that grit, the, the ability to go through rejection the way that you did, and to be able to overcome that? It's a great question. What a joy to be here. What a what a, an exciting, we're recording from my office. It's a little tight on time, but <laughs> I'm really excited to be sitting with you. Yeah, no, I really appreciate you taking the time. I know you, you, you say no to a lot of podcasts and say no to a lot of different things. And I just started saying no. I've been <laughs> in, a, in a race with uh, some others to who could be on the most Jewish podcast. But I, think I'm, <laughs> I think I'm retiring. It's yeah, too much. But too... I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to education. I really do. I think when it comes to building grit, the most important thing is that it begins before the first rejection comes in mm. and that you teach children from a very young age uh, to confront and learn how to articulate their feelings. I am an educator to people who are in early adulthood in mm. their 20s, right. uh, but I am a parent to a five-year-old right, right. Uh, and also to a to a three-year-old. I, My five-year-old particularly, uh, we talk a lot about our feelings and feelings of disappointment and learning how to articulate when we feel disappointed and when we feel hurt. Can you take me through like one of those types of conversations? Like what does that look like exactly? Just I'm curious, you know, if, since you're talking about so much about articulating that and talking about feelings, but in what way? How do you how do you lead that conversation? How do you teach a five-year-old 
to talk about their feelings in a real genuine way where they're they're okay with it. They they know you have the right words to talk about it. You know, how's that? I, it's almost easier for me to start by talking about when it doesn't go correctly. Okay. And like fast forwarding to people who are older. Right. People who are older and there's like an, a great uh, adage uh, from one of the Lubavitcher Rebbe's, uh, I think maybe the Rebbe Rashab, who spoke about, you know, children uh, want to be happy and adults want to be right. <laughs> adults want to be truthful. Yeah. And I line. think when people are older, they don't like admitting the, and they don't use the term, you hurt my feelings. Mm. You hurt my feelings. There's something very childish that seems almost like naive to admit that. But using the words, you hurt my feelings, is something really healthy and is really honest. And it's something that we use in our um, in our home. I think where we talk about our feelings the most uh, is when we talk about anger. Hmm. I talk about anger with my son all the time. People get angry at one another. Sure. And we, we use the term talk strongly. And we have very honest approaches for when is it okay to talk strongly? When is it justified to talk strongly? You, and you're specifically saying talk strongly as opposed to raising one's voice, or you're saying, no, it's okay, it's justified to raise one's voice? To, justified you... to raise one's voice and be angry, okay. and, um, and right? When What are those situations where that's totally well, You justified. can ask my son. We can call him in here. Honestly, I, I, I think it would be awesome. I don't yeah. know if you'd be willing if, to if, do it. I'd love to have him on. <laughs> this this is very cool. We are being joined by Zevi Bashevkin. Come, Zevi, come over here. I want to talk. This is the first ever here on Education. I'm excited come. for this. Let's talk for a little bit. When do we talk uh, strongly to each other? When are you allowed to talk strongly? Do you know? Um, no. No, is Mr. Zevi? When do we talk strongly? If someone There's something dangerous, I can't. Walk. How is it recording? Why is it and recording? Zevi, can we talk about getting angry? When does so? When do we sometimes feel angry? What makes you angry? Uh, I just, can we just record that? You, is it making you a little bit nervous? Do you want to come back and talk about this a different time? I want to do the thing we, we do with yours. Okay, I think he's going to be too distracted. We have to come back. Can you walk outside, Debbie? We'll come back and we'll can talk. You I, I I thought he I think he got a little distracted. There's a there's a light here. No light. No, no, we okay. talk <laughs> about our feelings a great deal and managing our feelings. Uh, Zevi has a cool out zone which I built for him in the corner hmm. where he goes when he feels. We use terms like losing control. We use terms like hurting my feelings. We talk about that constantly. Yeah, and feeling feeling angry. I feel like people don't talk about that and admit that enough. You really hurt my feelings. I feel really angry right now. Yeah. And it's amazing that you're giving your children these tools like well, at we, such an early age. It's amazing. Well, it, it, a lot of it has come from my own experience. We're both, you know, he is he's kind of it's it's almost like scary in many ways. He's like the spitting image <laughs> in many ways of my emotional composition at that age. Right. Wow. And I remember like the feeling of being a young child and feeling it kind of felt Kind of felt like I was riding a motorcycle hmm. with my emotions really? where, wow. you know, when you ride a car, you have a certain power engine, but there's also like, uh, um, what are they called again? The airbags, yeah. airbags, all these safety features, rear view mirrors, you have all these amazing safety features. And then when you ride a motorcycle, and people know those motorcycles are so dangerous, yeah. you ride a motorcycle, it's basically just you, you on the motorcycle. You got that mirror and that's basically it. But it's the same engine. <laughs> yeah. It's basically a, a car, sure. you're riding on top of the engine. And I feel like emotionally that's what childhood is like because mm. they don't, great ha muscle. I love they don't have a lot of the safety features that yeah. you build out 
in adulthood. So they're just like, they're so much more in touch with their engine. Now, the problem is, as we get to adulthood, we build all of these safety features that we no longer feel or we almost block away the cut off the very power of that engine. Mm. And therefore, when you get angry and you get upset and emotionally you start to spiral, you start to blame the safety features, you start to blame the the airbags didn't go off in time, mm-hmm. distracted driving. Yeah, yeah. And you like forget the fact, like, no, 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 no. Like keep in mind, there's an engine in here. Right. And and you have to be in touch with that engine. I'm curious if, if do you feel that and if I if if this is too personal, you know, Please let me know, go but for it. Is is do you book. feel that that's why maybe you you've shifted? You know, I know you've spoken about in the past, like about how you've shifted a little bit in terms of your own like outlook and your own hashkafa in terms of you know, the way that you related, like you were in Neri Stroll and you've shifted a little bit, which, you know, not that you're still... My Hashkafic shift? Hashkafic shift, yeah. Do you feel like that has to do no, with that? No, no. My 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 Hashkafic shift um, was a reorientation of my general relationship to communities in general. Interesting. I think that when you're younger, maybe it's very tangentially related. Mm-hmm. I think that when you are younger... You look for a community that reflects your individual ideals. Mm-hmm. And you really find you're really looking for like a one to one matchup. Yeah. Like yeah. I feel this way and like let me like look back on my checklist. Mm-hmm. It's like that immaturity you have yeah, when you're yeah. dating of like I need a girl who like right. checks this, all these this, things. This, this, yeah, yeah. Like you want a community and like and I think I was in search of that. Mm. And I think my shift is not a rejection, God forbid, of any institution or any community. Right. It's just a total reorientation that I don't need communities to reflect my personal values. Do you, are there things that you would have been wanted to have either been parented differently or in ed, you know educated differently, like in South Shore or the way you're parenting, like things like that in, in terms of that? Or My parents are really rare, unique, holy people, like any human being, you know, deeply flawed, human, regular people. Sure. I would not, and this is going to sound crazy. I don't think my siblings are going to listen to this, but if they do, they're going to be like, that's insane. <laughs> I, I would not change anything. I think it was healthy. Again, do not change anything. I mean, nobody grows up and is like, oh, I had the perfect childhood. <laughs> I had a very, very imperfect childhood like everybody else. Right. But it was that imperfection that I think conditioned me to see. It, it's what allows me to respect my parents even more. I always say, if I put my parents on one side of the scale and put every book and every Rebbe and every schmooze on the other side of the scale, my parents would outweigh them by a very, very wide margin. I grew up in the home. My father is a hematologist oncologist and we'd have patients. I wrote about this in the Jewish press and people criticized me because they thought I was criticizing my father. They didn't understand the family culture. People would go over and they would call my father a malach, an angel. He's an angel. Oh my gosh. And I said, he's not. his greatness is from how deeply human he is. Mm. He's deeply, deeply human. Right, right. And and he would take offense. And I know this from being called a malach. Because right. that's the fact that he struggles like everybody else. I grew up in a home where we knew this about yeah. one another uh, is, I think, what laid the groundwork for what I became. I, mm. I love South Shore also. Yeah, Shout went, out I'm to a, South Shore. I'm an alum. I, I went there too. I got you. South, <laughs> Shore, South Shore is passionately centrist, so it leaves options open. What yeah, I like about it as true. an elementary school, and I wish there were more of these, is people always say, you don't choose your kid's high school, you choose their elementary school. Mm-hmm. Um, what I like about South Shore is that it's still true for South Shore. I think a lot of elementary schools became feeders to you know the same 
two, yeah, maybe three true. high schools. Right, South Shore is very, yeah. The world is your oyster if you come it's out of so South Shore. True. And I, very, I like that it, it, it preserves that freedom and independence and has that openness of yeah, culture. Yeah, I think we have like six different schools like that you could I have gone that. to from high school. I love like, that. And I, I treasure South Shore. I, uh, it's, you know, it has that Kamenetsky way mm-hmm. about them, you know. Yeah, yeah. Monty Kamenetsky is somebody I'm still in touch with. I feel awesome. uh, family to him in many ways, which he knows. And uh, yeah, so I'm a big fan of South Shore. That's awesome. Going back, you know, you just said that, you know, and as everyone, everyone's parents and everyone's childhood has imperfections in it. What can you name? And not the ones that you, but things that you tried to tweak for your own children. You know, like you were mentioning before the communication, the way that you talk about feelings. Are there things that you could point to and say, these are things that I had as things that I w- wanted differently in my childhood that you ne- now you're trying to do differently in the way that you parent? A lot of my, a lot of people's struggles as a child is feeling normal and feeling regular with where they are. I think that one of the things that I try again, and it was a double-edged sword when I was growing up, my parents did their own thing. They did not participate in, you know, the social economy of the typical five towns. We never ate out Shabbos day. We never ate out on Definitely not Friday night. Right. I, I remember in my entire childhood eating out at somebody else's house on Shabbos once. Really? Once. Wow. Once. And it was huh. a, it was it was a patient of my father who huh. later passed away. And I think really? he did it like I, I'm pretty sure those were connected. They never did it. And in retrospect, I love that I learned that. At the time, I think I struggled where I felt different. Felt like left out or whatever. Yeah, I didn't yeah. feel like, oh, my parents aren't in the cool circle or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. I think that the one thing I don't think I've changed it. I think I'm just in a different. I've positioned socially different than my father. Sure. Where I I try, I try to make sure that I'll be able to project to my child that we, we are not eating out by choice, which mm-hmm. was also my parents' choice. I right. think people would have invited them out, but we're, we're this is a choice, and that we do have people, you know, like who come over and our house is bustling with people come over and building, sh- modeling those adult friendships that. If you're not in the, and I'm not, in the regular meals economy, mm-hmm. which I think a lot of young couples, like, some people love it, some people hate it. I, I just, like, we were in it for a while, and I just, like, retired, uh-huh. like, announced my retirement. Right. <laughs> um, and it, it's, it's, I'm just, like, it, it's hard, but we have, like, specific couples who they, they'll they'll come over, shall should us, we share meals with our neighbors all the time. Sure. And it's just, it's a little bit more limited, but it allows you to kind of have both. And I think that sense of social normalcy is a really important construct for kids to give them confidence that they feel situated in a family that's situated in a larger community and situated ultimately in the people. Totally, totally. That's a great point. You, I know that you have, you've done a lot of work in a, in a lot, in a very, very wide array of communities. What would you say are the differences that you've seen in terms of both Jewish education and parenting across the different communities that you've worked with? It's a very meaning, vague I know, question. Meaning, I know you, you speak a lot in a lot of communities. You also do NTSY with a lot of different types of you know Jews across the spectrum. Like really, like you 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 touch a lot of different. So you know, in what way? What what aspect? I, yeah, it, it's it is broad in purpose. Meaning, I want I want to hear specifically. What 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 differences have you seen just in terms of it, whether it could be parenting differences in the way that the you know you grew up in the South Shore Mar realm you know now you're in the Young Israel of Country Club Teaneck 
type of realm. That's that's one. Also, you yourself have worked in a lot of different communities, so you've seen. You know, I know you were you were you spoke in the Jewish Center a couple of weeks ago, and there, you know different things like plug, that. Plug plug the Jewish Center. That's I just know my, my brother lives there, so he that's you know a good plug. <laughs> I. I don't think there are a lot of differences. I think there are a lot of organizational differences, mm-hmm. but I believe that everybody has three Jewish identities. We have an identity as individuals, we have identities as families, and we have our organizational collective identity. And I think that when it comes to our identity as family members, everyone is balancing and negotiating the same issues. You can choose another shul, and this is, I'm quoting Rabbi Penner when he was a guest on our on my podcast on eighteen forty, which did you shout that out of my bio? Of course, you better have God's sake. Oh, well, maybe uh, I didn't. Even, but I if, if did, I didn't, you better go back and plug that in. I will plug that in. But he said something very moving. You can find another shul, you could find another school, you could find another community, but you only have one family. And to me, that notion of you only have one family is every family is grappling with that because people have different kinds of kids. I think the biggest distinction that you find, and it doesn't break out into any specific kind of community, is the models. I don't know how intellectual you want me to get, but it's not super intellectual, but Jonathan Haidt, I think I'm pronouncing his last name correctly, also a former 1840 guest. Shout out to 1840. Shout out to Jonathan Haidt. He has a book called The Righteous Mind where he talks about different moral matrices Mm -hmm. and how people form their conception of morality. Do they begin with kind of a broad communal conception or they begin with the individual. And I think that's what a lot of families are struggling with is the way that they cultivate culture in their home, Yiddishkeit. I don't mean culture like bagels, but what Yiddishkeit feels in their home. Does it come from a very – family is wedged in between individual and organizational and collective. So what's the starting point in your home? Does it start with the individual and hopefully serve as a bridge to the organizational? Does it start with the organizational and hopefully trickle down to the individual? Meaning meaning what way? Like a very very organizational home would be a home that really transmits – these you know large organizational values and make sure that the kids know about the major you know, whether it's the major yeshivas or organizations and mm-hmm. the rabbanim and and that's where the starting point is and you okay. trickle down and hope your kid finds their place in that communal universe interesting and there's another model where you start on more of the individual level who is my child and that's also dangerous because it's a little bit more of that like I don't think I'm pronouncing the Latin word correctly, but like Rousseau's notion of like this tabula rasa, like this blank slate, Mm. which no child really is, but like you give them total freedom to operate wherever and self-expression, then it's going to feel really suffocating when they finally enter into that communal universe. That's so interesting. So the family is that bridge between individual and communal thinking. And I think the biggest difference between different families is whether or not they begin with that communal conception and then they hopefully trickle down to the When you say children. beginning with that communal conception, you're saying like introducing them to very important things in Judaism or or not necessarily? I'm not even articulating well. I, I, I And I appreciate the pushback. I think it it's what is their primary goal? Is their primary goal like getting my, you know, that communal goal, being a part of the community that we are a part of? Or is the goal more individualistic where it's like... You find what's good for this, you. Yeah, uh-huh. this young child. And I think that starting... Everybody wants both, mm-hmm. ultimately. Everybody right. wants both. Right, right. But I think their starting points are oftentimes very different in different communities. Do you think one is better than the other? No. I think they both... Have, I think they're... They both have 
great opportunities and great things that require sacrifice. Mm-hmm. I don't think that one is necessarily better than the other. I think both can be used and misused. And family is the bridge that hopefully allows individuals to live in both of those worlds. Interesting. That's very interesting. And what meaning you said you you when you started talking about it, you were saying how one is kind of be a little bit dangerous. But you're saying that's not necessarily a bad. They're thing. both you're dangerous. Saying, why? They, why are they both everything, dangerous? I mean. Why? Why is it dangerous to give over certain values as the as the as a baseline and then allow for some indi- individual? Because then they, because you're saying it, it, it may it be deeply suffocating. Uh-huh, yeah, uh-huh. you're 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 started with these preconceived notions of what you want to be and what you want to become. Right. Let's say your baseline is you want to be a doctor. But within right? but within Judaism, right? I mean, there's certain values that need to have been given over in some way. Would you or you don't agree with that? Of course, I agree with that. That's what I'm saying. Like this is a negotiation. Mm-hmm. How rigid you are in the way you transmit those values, I think, is a nafkamina, is right. a yeah. distinction yeah. that emerges from whether or not your starting point is a more individualistic conception or a more communal conception. Right. And I think that family lives lives in, in between, in between those the two. two. Yeah, that's very interesting. Very interesting. You know, you, you have a very large social media presence, and uh, it's great that you know Mazel Tov on the 10,000 that you, you hit a little bit ago, I remember. Oh, that's that, very kind of you. But, uh, you know, that's pretty pretty exciting. That means a great deal to me. Uh, so, you know, I, I'm curious, and I, I hope that this is not, again, not too personal, but uh, I, I am curious, you know, if you feel that your social media prowess in in ways sometimes affects your children and and. You know, it does, or if it doesn't, if it does, in what ways do you find it does? And if not, you know, how how do you keep it from from affecting them in any way? Affects my children? I sure as heck hope not. No, I don't think it does. I mean, how it, do you mean? So how do you balance that? That they don't look at when I tweet. I mean, when I tweet the most is usually when I am sitting in a chair and my. I think the two times I tweet most are like about eight. Um, eight forty-five a.m. Okay. After my kids leave to, oh, they're, uh, they're already gone to school already. To school, mm-hmm. and then I usually have a tweet flurry around seven forty. Got it. So are you are you like you're not going on to social media or whatever during those other times, or you know? I'll peek at it. Does it? The question is meaning it's not a question. Does it affect my children? How does it affect me? And the way it affects me certainly affects my children. Everything affects me. Right. I mean, that's how you affect your children. I'm not. I'm not in this universe where like, Daddy, like, please, I need your help. It's like, I'm sorry, son. I need to tweet something. Like, <laughs> right, right. That's not what's happening. So in my how, my how son would you does say not know what you, Twitter then? is. Right. So how would you say it affects you? It affects me because you're living and sharing ideas in a public sphere, and it affects in two ways. the The feedback of that community mm-hmm. can impinge on the stability of your personal identity. Sure. You feel like there is a need to share. You know, I have a close friend, Moishi, who I quote a lot. We just text each other the word insatiable. That's how he describes, you know, your relationship with any social media. Or they, they just want the next joke, the next yeah, meme, yeah, yeah. the next article. It's insatiable. It's this treadmill, and it's fatiguing, and that, that that could definitely fatigue you. And the other is this constant, you know, responsibility that I really feel to the online community that we've created. Sure. You know, there is, I have a sense of responsibility. What do I share? When do I push? When do I share Narish Kite? Uh, it's not. It's not a joke to me. It's a real community, and I. Yeah. I feel like it's not you, a physical community. I feel like you I, like kind of like started, or like you're like the you know the mayor of that the Twitter the Jew, you know. I take it with a great deal of responsibility. I have responsibility to share good jokes. Responsibility mm-hmm. to promote other people to sure. promote other voices. 
I I don't hope take, I hope you'll give a shout out to Education. Yeah. I don't take it. I don't I don't take it. I, I'm I'm careful about that too. I, I don't know. I know you are. When people there are people who reach out to me just for the shout out, and the answer is no. Meaning low. I'm not I'm not interested in that. I'm not interested in being someone's portal for their advertisement. For sure. There there's a deliberate reason why I chose, and maybe this is what helps me. That my and shout out to my Twitter handle, Dbash Ideas. Dbash Ideas. But sure. the ideas part, I put that in my name initially, very deliberately, because I wanted my social media presence to be driven by ideas. I don't. There are a lot of things I don't share. Mm-hmm. I don't share posters of when I speak. Why? Why do they need to hear that? Like, well, my father, like, oh, I'm going to be in. I don't know this community. I'm you don't think that on... people would want to know that way they can come here for what? Speak? I mean, if if someone who lives in that community because yeah, then... they're they're not getting it from the shul, they're not right. getting it from whatever. I I don't share. That's not an idea. That's a poster. That's that to me is self promotion. Mm-hmm. That's what I try to avoid. Now people think that I'm the master self promoter, and I appreciate. It. I'm flattered <laughs> by by my books, push product. But no, what what I am committed to, and I don't apologize for, is commit is is promoting ideas. And mm-hmm. I think that if your responsibility is to promote ideas and I don't look at what I do on social media, all that different as somebody who is an educator, you know, that's the whole theme of what you're doing. If you ask somebody, you know, you're a, you asked a, I don't know, a, a, a Chumash Rebbe, a, a teacher in a seminary, does your work affect your children? They was I guess they would pause and they would say like it certainly affects me like if you have a bad day well, or any and, job. and then anything that affects us affects our children that's yeah. what that's what really education is all about is that we're all Jewish educators in our homes meaning at, at any that's time beautiful thank you that 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 no but what I'm what I'm basically saying is that it can. It will, right, so you're saying if it affects you, then of course yeah. it's affecting your children. But right. it's but you asked specifically I'm asking about specific, social media. Correct. and I'm pushing back. Is it? Does, I don't think it's all that different. Yeah, it's available on my phone. So is WhatsApp and your students and your boss and yeah. your colleagues yeah. texting you. I think if you just appreciate how it affects your children, you're right. better equipped to make sure that it does not. Right. Well, I think it's. I mean, to, the message that I'm getting is that clearly you put a lot of you know time and effort into not letting it affect your children. I mean, you specifically do it, like you said. When you do it after your children are gone, or maybe at nighttime when your children are already sleeping, that's not necessarily so typical. Which is why you know, and I, that's why I specifically said about social media because social media is something. And I'm that off be... the grid almost completely. I, I mean, I tweet a little bit Sundays, Motsi Shabbos. I mean, invite me, send me the an book, invitation <laughs> to come talk to you on a podcast for a Sunday or Motsi Shabbos. I, I laugh in people's faces. I'm like, are you nuts? And leave my family? What's up for your Fakakta podcast? No, thank you. <laughs> Right. Invite me to something. I, I have somebody, saying, not in a million years. I'm not leaving my family. I'm not. I'm here. I'm with Mishpacha now. Right. And right. I'm I'm cavalier about it. And I almost want to remind them, like Azah Chutzba. Right. You think I'm giving you my Sunday for what? For for, for what? Yeah. This isn't a professional responsibility of mine. Sure. You're calling it a favor. You're not considering the other side of the equation right. more than my family. And people aren't so sensitive to that, but I think they got the message. I mean, people do ask me from time to time. I'm pretty cavalier with my response. Right, right, right. I totally hear you. And I guess also, you know, you also read a lot of books, and you you put that out sure on do. social We're media. Sure, do. We're surrounded by them now. And- You're gonna get them <laughs> on this picture. Seriously, office is a mess. It's good. Oh, it's good stuff. Okay. But it shows how many books you you know. I would have changed the books somebody if I knew where the <laughs> picture. I don't want to. I don't want to push product on these. Let's get my book over here. Okay. Yeah. Wait. wait we got to show that book over there. Where's Where's that? Yeah, where's synagogue? Right? Yeah, where's synagogue? Right, right here. It was right underneath. Oh, there we go. Put it right here. There we go. Buy that book. Yeah, buy, buy that, that book, book, everybody. Yeah. So you know, but yeah, and you you really started this trend of you know I read this book on Shabbos. I'm just, I'm so curious. I, I I'm 
and I know people have asked you before on Twitter, but I'm curious more specifically, how do you read so much on a Shabbos in a way that it doesn't affect your children? Meaning specifically, like it doesn't take you away from that mishpacha time because Shabbos is so much mishpacha time, right? How do you, how do you go about doing that? Well, two things. A, just for the record, and I've said this a thousand times, it's like everybody on Twitter is an Amelia Bedelia. They're so literal. I don't always finish the book on Shabbos. Sometimes right. I do, sometimes I don't. Sure. Okay, this is what I read over Shabbos. Like, Get over it. Like, relax yourselves. <laughs> People get so fixated on that. No, not necessarily even just not finishing a book. I'm doing, like, yeah, I'm doing two things on, a nice I'm doing on, two things on Shabbos. Number one, I want to introduce the notion that Shabbos is valuable time and you can accomplish something. You could you can learn the Parsha. You could do whatever. But but use this time and you could come out with something new each week. For me, it's a book a week. For how others, but it's how a do book you do month. that? Like, I, I mean, let, I let know me get for to myself. the second point. Let me get to the yeah. second point. So the second point is like, how does it not affect your children? So two things. Of course it affects my children. I want it to affect my children. I mean, when you I, want them to see you. You want them course. to see you reading. When I grew up, I think most people think that the way you get your kids to be into learning, to be into reading, to get your values, is you grab them by the ear and you force them to participate in those values. I learned with my father, and you could take it down over there. I learned with my father for a total of one year. I actually hated it. There's a baseball over there signed by Ted Williams that yes, I think I've shared, nice. <laughs> I've shared online before. Um, I learned uh, Shabbos with Kahati. I learned with my father for a year. It went okay. We started the next Masech. I believe we chose Avodah Zarah, and I dropped that after three weeks. Mm. So why am I so into learning? I attribute that to my parents. Why am I so into learning? Because I constantly saw my parents learning. Constantly saw them reading. I grew up in a house of learning and reading. Mm. That's what I did. Right. So my friends, all of whom we grew up together, all of whom are into learning right now, without right. exception. What's the common denominator? The common denominator is that actually our parents did, those parents did not really force their kids to learn with them. And I'm saying this, my friend Akiva, I have a friend Yoni, this this Hevra, who I'm still my closest friends in the universe, even though Yoni denies that we're still best friends. <laughs> well, of course we're best friends. We're, but we're, we grew up together. What's yeah. the common denominator of us three? We're all still into learning. We all went to yeshiva together. The common denominator is that we all grew up in homes where our parents were surrounded by Torah and were constantly learning. None of us. I mean, What's that earliest? When, how old were you when you have that earliest memory? Because I'm curious. Like My oldest is, is five, and then I have a three and a one-year-old, right? So I have a... What do you... Yeah, what do you... I don't remember ever not seeing my parents sitting on a Friday I'm saying I, I feel like my time is so spread thin on a Shabbos because I'm spending so much time with them. So I don't, I mean, I, I know, you know, like I go, I do, I have my learning, I have my learning in the mornings, a little in the afternoon, but for the most part, the rest of the time really spent with my children. How do you, how do you? I don't know. What, I don't, what are you doing with them? You're playing like baseball? Playing with them. No, no, I play, I play, I mean, it depends. I, I play with them in the house, different things. My wife is more of a play with the kids kind of person. Okay. I'm not playing with them as much. I'm like present. I'm like near them. I'm like reading on the kitchen and my kids playing magnetiles on the floor. Mm. Sometimes I'll get that. We'll do some magnetiles together. We've done yeah. some magnetiles work. I'm not good at playing board games with my kids because I, I just, I find like it's too painful for me. Okay. We'll sometimes get on the floor and do it, but I believe in transmitting values by just by seeing just what seeing you're doing, like seeing what other people are doing in that it's area. It's a great take. It's so interesting. Yeah. And a lot of my reading I do on, on again, it depends if it's in the winter and the summer. Sure. In the winter, I'm doing it late Friday nights when everybody's asleep. And in the summer, I'm doing it like Shabbos afternoon when there's a balagon in our backyard. Right, right, right. Gotcha. That's awesome. I love that. I'm curious, you know, I know that I loved hearing the different things that you said, that the different tidbits that you picked up from Rav Judah about your Shabbos table and things like that. I'm curious if you can tell us any of the other tidbits that you've 
picked up. You know, like you, you said, like things how you've you wanted to implement in your Shabbos table, your Shabbos home, things that or things in your home that you wanted to pick up that you picked up either from like either of Judah or other Abayim, you know, different Abayim over the, over the, or maybe not necessarily Abayim, uh, people. What are some tidbits that you specifically... Shabbos culture is the world to us. I, I think we we are the... We're just, we're awesome on Shabbos. So I mean, let's hear I, what, what does that look like? Describe it. It's so not glamorous. It's so not impressive. Shabbos morning, I wake up earlier than I do the rest of the week. I can wake up as early as 5.45, sometimes 6. I... Uh, give a sheer when I'm here. Obviously, I'm, I'm away sometimes in sure. residence, but when I'm here, I usually give a sheer in the Young Israel Teaneck. Uh, the minion is at seven. It is a very fast minion. I have a very hard time sitting through shul. Mm-hmm. I always have. Um, I like, I don't have a hard time doubting with Kavana. I have a hard time like sitting in this. Mm-hmm. It's a very fast minion. It's a gotcha. very fast Shabbos Day minion. So it I've starts at been seven. There I know, I know what you're referring to. It's over around 8.20. Yeah, it's, it's pretty. And I give a sheer at 8.30. Gotcha. Um, I am home by around 9.15 a.m. At 9.30 a.m., 9.45, our neighbors come over and we have a dairy kiddush. Mm, nice. We then dairy kiddush where we make little pizzas, good cheeses. Oh, really? Wow. And what do we do after that? Then then we usually either my wife takes a nap, maybe I'll sneak in a nap. I'm reading the whole time. You know, we're sitting there. Our kids are playing. It's really nice. And we eat lunch at noon. Chick chock meal. I, I don't like. What, so how do you give over that that Shabbos? Like, what do you what do you, what what do you, when you say like you 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 do Shabbos awesome? Like, oh, what is, let what me you, let me tell you. Well, okay, this is this is a good pro tip. This is a good pro tip. I sing Zmiros before the meal. Hmm. People are very into you know because they hear that Rip Shach story. They're so scared <laughs> that you know oh, if only we sang Zmiros, then that's why everyone's going off the derrick. Right. <laughs> I'm very into Jewish music in our home. Super into Jewish music in our home. But I realize that a lot of meals, the not all the guests want to sing or good at singing mm. this that. So we sing before meals. That's so interesting. So Friday night we sing, um, like when normal Shalom But then we do like some of my kids' favorites, um, and then on Shabbos day we have a few favorites that we sing together. Maybe we bring Zevi back in here. We could sing together. Yeah, that'd but be we great. sing before the meal, before the guests come. So the kiddush is nine forty five to like. I don't know, ten fifteen people coming in, but then like at like ten thirty, I'll bring the kids down and we'll and we'll sing together, and that's, that's so nice. when we build that. That's really nice singing wow. culture, which that's I really, really am a big big fan. Yeah, of. that's beautiful, that's and that's amazing. a pro tip. Don't sing during the meal. I don't think people like singing during the meal. I think people like singing before the meal. It's yeah, very it feels forced. very forced. It's so forced. Yeah, and then we so sing. It's like, bo- oh, you know, we're gonna mention. You know, let's just let's sing one quick. Yeah, sing one quick summer. No, so we don't do that. We totally. sing before the meal, and if it happens naturally during the meal, like so, we'll have a guest over who's really it's a beautiful voice or this loves to sing. Of course, we'll sing, but it's not it's not forced that way. Totally, totally. I'm uh, I'm I'm curious, you know. You you have the the top five. I love that book. It's 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 great. I don't know if you have it. Copies here too. Yeah, of course. Big fan, big fan. What would you say is the top five? If if you were to make a new one on parenting, what would be your top? Oh my god, you're asking me on the spot. On the spot, I know it's hard, right? Well, either either parent common parenting issues or. I don't know, parenting goals, parenting advice. You 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 name it. It could be a top five it, on parenting. I don't know if you can pot. come up with it on the Look spot. Look at you. You're... But if you come up with one or two. You get paid two. for those columns, my friend. <laughs> one or two, anything. On the top of your head of, of parenting, top five. Or not necessarily Positive five. or negative. Like, well, I'm, I'm struggling. What's, what's coming to your head? What's, what's, what's uh... top five parenting? The, the Building great culture with young children through singing, number one. Two, nice. buy cheap prizes constantly. <laughs> There's no reason. 
cheap, easy prizes to reinforce great behaviors. Meaning you believe in... in oh, big time. Yeah. Go to Amazing Savings, spend $9 and just make them feel special. Um, talking to your kids about emotions, particularly before they go to sleep. Yeah. Normalize conversations about your emotions, about your day. Well, I'm curious. Sorry to stop you. Why particularly before they go to sleep? There's an intimacy before your kid goes to sleep. That's when, at least my children, that's when mm -hmm. they process their day. Kids don't want to talk about their emotions at three o'clock in the afternoon. So true. They when, they, when they come home, like, yeah. I'm like, how's your day? Tell me. That. Like, they don't want to talk about it. Right before bed, I want to tell you about this and this. I'm yeah, like, yeah. where's this it. coming from? So when, so when they're going to sleep, that's, that's when so we really try to unpack kind of the, uh, the emotional resonance of the day. I think everything comes down to building great family culture repeat yourself I, the opposite you know I, I say this every year literally and it's meta true that i say it every year when they have these parenting classes on making the seder come alive which mm -hmm. i always roll my eyes for <laughs> but my number one tip is repeat the same idea at every single pesach seder and if the pesach seder is this seminal event that builds lemishpachosam the families of right. klal yisrael i give the same advice to family repeat yourself have jokes have shtick have ideas that your kids constantly right, are familiar that, with and come back to. In, right? And it becomes like that family culture. And I think mm, if you do that well point. and consistently, you're constantly repeating yourself. Don't don't be the in the analog of the Pesach Seder. Don't be the home where every day is like a new 40-minute Dvar Torah before Magid. Right, like right. Be the day where you are repeating. Your kids can finish your lines, where there's a familiarity, there's a stability that home life represents. And I think that allows kids to associate home with all that good acceptance, stability, warmth uh, that, that the home should be associated with. There you have it. The top five. Last question for you. It was only Just four, because, but sure. That's more, okay. Either way, that, that's, a good, that's a very solid top four. I'm curious, you know, you, you read a lot. I do. You, and, you, and you talk a lot about books. What would you say is your number one book that you would recommend for parents to read? so funny i stay the freaking heck away from parents okay books. okay or 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 yeah but I'll, let me tell you why you didn't let me finish yeah, let my me freaking it. answer <laughs> my god this guy <laughs> yeah, yeah uh <laughs> um what book what book do i recommend so you didn't wait why 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 so let's hear why <laughs> you didn't say why why do i reject it i think I have something which is much better than books, which is not only amazing parents that I spoke about earlier, but incredible siblings. Mm. I am blessed. I have three older sisters and I have a little brother, all of which are incredible parents in their own right. And cool. I watch and I pay attention really? to great to great parents. What book would I recommend? The only book that I would recommend that I, on great parenting... Or that, or that shifted your parenting, the, the way that you have approached parenting. It doesn't have to necessarily be a parenting book. It could be... I'm looking at one right now. It's one of the only parenting books I've read, but not even that seriously. It's called the Mr. Rogers Parenting Book. Mm, I am cool. a big fan of Mr. Rogers. I, I was going to recommend like something fancy, you know, Far From the Tree. Andrew Solomon is about family structure. Bruce Feiler is a book mm -hmm. on family transitions. I, I, I don't think any of those are where you're going to get great parenting yeah. advice from. It will make me seem much smarter mm -hmm. and much more you know like edgy. Uh, I think great books for parenting is paying closer attention to great children's books. Yeah. I pay very close attention to children's books, uh, whether it's the great Jewish children's books, Mimi and Simi, Labels for Label, Shimmy yeah, Shambone, um, I think is very, very strong, or some of the secular uh, children's books, Jared's Cool Out Zone, uh, 
the pigeon drive l- l- let the pigeon drive the bus that right. entire series i think children's what would Danny books do? Also, you know children's books open up the world for parents of the inner world of the child mm. that as to return to the analogy we began with often get closed off from that engine of emotion yeah, yeah. that animates a child's world without any of the support system and we're like cut off from it we're cruising in our big 16 wheeler truck thinking about all these other things it reminds you of that emotional engine that animates yeah. children's lives so if i were to recommend somebody who wants to become a better parent i would just say pay closer attention to the world that children's books represent that's a really great point really a major thank you to you for all of your time. Really, really. I, I know that your time is limited and really appreciate it. This was it. a joy. It really was. Is it okay was that pleasure. I busted your chops a Not couple times all. in there? I, I appreciate it. Thank it you. came from a place of love. <laughs> thank you very much. Uh, really, really an honor and a pleasure thank to you speak for your together time. today. Appreciate it. You know, I was recently talking about Dov Bashevkin with someone and the amazing work that he's doing with 1840 and so many different things. And that person responded, said that whenever Dov Bashevkin walks into the room, he is always the smartest person in the room and you can definitely get that feel from this episode david is so articulate has such great takes on parenting and and really anything david is a thought leader and it was great to pick his brain on this important topic of parenting i really valued david's focus on emotions and how he how he helps his children to articulate their feelings it's incredible the muscle that he gave was incredible we need to help that our children as they ride that motorcycle, kind of like helping them, helping a child to learn how to ride the bike. They need guidance as to how to get it started, and then they could take off all on their own. And the idea about learning about a child's world from children's books is is incredible. It's it was eye opening for me, something that I personally really want to pay attention to and look forward to learning from more. Next episode, we have the special treat of hearing from Rabbi Doctor Yosef Lin on the importance of a good marriage in terms of parenting. Looking forward. Have an amazing week.